You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Nothing means anything except the meaning you give it. That applies to circumstances in our lives. It applies to the language we use. The same event will mean many different things to different people. The same word will mean many different things to many different people. What does the word seduction mean to you? Does it have a positive or a negative meaning? Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service. And you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is a master of seduction. He may challenge your interpretation of that highly charged word. This is his third guest appearance on our show. He gave birth to a subculture of pickup artists. Tom Cruise immortalized his character in a fictional movie called Magnolia. Neil Strauss, author of the New York Times bestseller The Game, a book about the world of pickup artists, considers our guest an important mentor. Today, you'll be challenged and entertained, and you'll learn from this savvy individual who teaches a hand-picked selection of high-powered entrepreneurs, salespeople, and other professionals his one-of-a-kind, under-the-radar persuasion blueprint. His name is Ross Jeffries. I'm excited to introduce him for the third time to our show. Ross, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. It is my pleasure to be in this discussion with you and your listening audience. I have to say that having these dialogues with you is one of the highlights of my podcast career. You're really, really great. Thank you so much. I received that, my friend. So I want to begin with asking you to define sexual seduction. Well, seduction for me is the process of First, figuring out what states do uh, do you want a woman to be in? Lust, desire, fascination, connection, wanting to do some nasty things that her girlfriends would never have to find out about. How do you evoke and provoke those states in a woman? 
and then link them to yourself. And so my outrageous claim, my audacious claim, my seemingly at first unbelievable claim is the key to doing that is your language. Aha, uh -huh. yes indeed. Language over physical appearance. Believe me, if I had to rely on physical appearance, I would still be a virgin at 50, I'll be 59 next month. <laughs> here's the key, here's the key to people listening to this who don't yet stop and find your own reasons to think, wow, maybe what he's saying is true. I want to give this message. Women look at us through the feelings they have for us. Women look at us through the feelings they have for us. Men create feelings for women based on how the women look, at least initially. This is a vast oversimplification and a vast overgeneralization, over as I realize. And still, it most of the time holds up. So in the beginning, this is how things work. Mm-hmm. Now, why is seduction both desirable and feared by society? I think society doesn't realize to what extent they're being seduced all the time. If you broaden seduction to include persuasion, and essentially the same thing, which is capturing and leading someone's imagination and emotions. You know, I'm developing a program called Subtle Words That Sell, Conversations into Cash without pushing, pressuring, or pitching. And the essence of that, the message of that is, there's a way to shape your communication so people give you what you want because somehow they're convinced it's their own idea. And that's inside of that somehow is the skill set of shaping your communication so that people have their imagination and their emotions in their right brain captivated and captured and directed. And if we buy my original premise that language can create emotional states, then we can stop and allow yourself to see the power of this right now. Well, you know, I, I understand what you're talking about. Uh, and I want to jump on something that you just said. Jump that, on it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you said that they somehow will think it's their own idea. And yeah. I would I would raise the question, isn't it really their own idea that what you've done is, a let's say you've been a guide to bringing them to a place where they feel safe enough to express a desire that they may have had, but were afraid to express before. That's also true. That is completely another way to look at it. It's equally valid. Look, is light a particle or a wave? It depends on how you measure it. So it depends on your perspective. But yes, your way of communicating it is certainly more gentle. Kitty, <laughs> now that you see what's going on here, is Kitty wants attention. Yeah, um, for my listeners, um, right now Ross and I are on a video broadcast and he's got um, a very seductive creature who's trying to seduce him, a cat oh, oh. who's um, playing around with him and trying to get his attention while we do our interview. And... Um, it's always a wonderful thing. It's actually appropriate for the interview. Now, can there be seduction without consent? And I'm talking about consent from both parties. All right. Let's define consent. 
if uh, if you're talking about verbal consent, like yes, put your hand on my breast. Yes, now take off my pants. I'm not talking about that. But people's bodies give consent. I want to make it very, very clear to all the social justice warriors out there who uh, I think can kiss me where the sun doesn't shine. But nonetheless, if a woman says no, then you stop. I'm not talking about that. But just because you don't get a verbal yes, yes, please continue, please continue this. So let's unpack the term consent. What do we mean by consent? I'm really serious about this. Now, can things take place outside of people's conscious conscious awareness? And is that okay? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about doing things the traditional way. You take a woman out for a nice dinner. The restaurant has a lovely view. The atmosphere is great. Those things are all designed to induce a mood. But the person, the woman, is not going to say, hmm, now I'm consciously feeling a sense of comfort all over my body. And now I'm beginning to feel fascinated. The focus of my vision is narrowing. My breathing has shifted. My heart is beating just a little faster. Is she consciously aware of all the different components of those sensations? Almost certainly not, unless she's a, a attained, uh, quite attained meditator. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of things are happening beneath the level of conscious awareness anyway. It's not like I'm dropping people into a trance. I'm not doing a hypnotic Bill Cosby on them. This is not a verbal Bill Cosby. It's about creating mood through language rather than going out on a date. Right. So if you if you create the right mood and a person responds to that, and then it ends up in um, lovemaking, I would, con- I, well, I would contend that 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 person has enjoyably and willfully participated in that. Think of it as emotional engineering. <laughs> okay. We're engineering. Uh, we're in. I just came up with that term. We're engineering in a, an emotional response okay. that might otherwise not be there. Because look, dating for men is a form of gambling, and you're taking a wad of cash. And you're throwing it against the wall, hoping it's going to stick. And it's not efficient. And women don't like dating either, for the most part. They hate it. They'd rather feel that sense of connection with someone over, you know, going for a walk over a cup of coffee. Or unless they're a gold digger. If they're gold diggers, then let them go dig their own grave. I don't care about that. (laughs) They can go away. So why you know, is the only females that get to dig my gold are this little kitty and her poor sick sister is not the vet today. Uh, so I'm afraid is is going to be passing and leaving us soon. Why is seduction a natural part of life? Well, how did all the people get here, Lewis? <laughs> I had a student who is very hung up. Uh, I love working with people. It's one of my favorite things to do is make impact. And this guy had a very religious upbringing, and I could not convince him through all the arguments that women love sex. So I said, here's an assignment to do. I want you to get a journal. I want you to go to a public place where there's a lot of people passing by. Take an estimate on the number of people you see during the hour, and afterwards I want you to write me an essay on this topic. If women don't love, I can't say the F word, can I, on your podcast? You can. If women don't love fucking, where are all the people coming from? I had him write me an essay, and of course he couldn't write anything, so he got the message that way. So look, seduction in one form or the other is going to take place. It's going to happen by accident, 
or it's going to happen deliberately. So why not do it with deliberation? Mm-hmm. Very interesting point of view. Now, give examples of non-sexual, everyday seduction. Well, watch advertising. When you do associations, like, what is Coca-Cola? It's sugar water that rots your teeth and probably damages your stomach flavor. But they associate Coca-Cola with beautiful women in bikinis and people in a big social group all laughing and having fun and looking young and happy. Same thing with beer. So they're taking something and they're joining a neuro association to it that really makes no logical sense at all. You could be sitting in your trailer, nothing wrong if you live in a trailer, God bless you, I don't believe in God, but flying spaghetti monster, bless you. But, <laughs> you're, you know, you're probably sitting alone drinking your Coke and eating your cheese buffs and not partying on the beach with young people. So advertisers are seducing us all the time, except not in a way that serves us, I think. To me, seduction is awakening something in people that they want to awaken. I have a new affirmation that I give my students. So I'll give it to any male listening who's single. And that affirmation is this. Inside of every woman, something wonderful is sleeping, longing for me to awaken it. Inside of every woman, something wonderful is sleeping, longing for me to awaken it. I like that. Yeah, I like it too. You know, I, I love what you just said about advertising. Um, I knew an actor here in Toronto named Al Waxman. He became quite famous for um, a couple, number of years. And uh, in fact, he was on Cagney and Lacey in the States. And I was talking to him one day, and Al was a big guy. He was fat. He said, I can't stand beer commercials because I would never be auditioning for one. And it's guys like me who drink the beer. <laughs> he goes, but that's not what they want to see. Right? Uh -huh. so, now, Robert Greene, who's written extensively on seduction, says that seduction was originally developed by women. Do you agree? I don't have a lot of comment on Robert's work. I haven't read it extensively. I find him unreadable. Not That's not a comment on the content of what he writes. It's his style of writing. I just don't like it. So um, I don't have a lot to say about Robert Greene, but women are the inventors of seduction. Is that the question? That's what he, yeah, he, he, uh, he makes a, an argument that, that okay. he backs up historically. How would you empirically verify it? How would you go back and test that proposition? I think seduction has been taking place since humans developed language, as far as the linguistic component of it. If you mean that women back in Cleopatra wore makeup, etc., etc., okay, I get it. Women do things to make themselves look more attractive than they naturally are. I get that. But I really can't comment any further because, frankly, I bought the book but couldn't finish it. I found him... I'm not, this is not a comment on the content of his ideas. It's the style in which he writes, and I found him to be unreadable. Hmm. Yeah, I, on the other hand, have enjoyed his, his work. They're, uh, his books are provocative. But I, I recall that he was making the argument that because for so long women were forced into a, a subservient role, men held the power, 
men's aggressiveness ruled and that was the that was the dominant it's the opposite of today where you have a radical feminist movement that wants women women to give full reign to their sexuality but they want to suppress male sexuality that's that's the radical alt feminism i would call it the feminism that says hey we just want equal rights in the workplace and equal pay i support but this alt feminism i would call it that wants to strangle male sexuality but unleash female sexuality is uh, a tumor growing uh, on western civilization at least here in the united states well that uh is a totally it's it's a related topic but in terms of him making the historical argument his argument was that women developed these more subtle ways of getting I, what they wanted hold well, on un, sure. un, 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 yeah and he yeah. said and then he said it came to a point where men began to play the same roles as like basically adopting the feminine um strategies so you have a male coquette you have uh that's what i'm talking about and that's why i made the point that that pussification of men because they're trying to take on the same seductive strategies of women is it's just a logical extension of what green is writing and talking about it's simply that process is accelerating at a logarithmic logarithmic rate not a numerical progression which is one and one is two uh, plus one is three, plus one is four, but logarithmic. By, so by the time you get to seven repetitions, you got a pretty uh, long number. So I'm agreeing with that. I'm simply saying you're seeing the amplification of the logical conclusion of that in the alt-feminism movement, as I'll, I'll label it. I'll coin the term. Okay, okay. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the response to this podcast. I'm excited, actually. Uh, well, I don't. I don't allow women to question me, so they can just be quiet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh the, the, no less a person than Paul, the great apostle of Jesus, said, "I don't, I don't allow women to speak in the church." Is that really? what he said? Really? I don't. Yes, women should be shut up and be quiet in church. You don't believe that? He said that. I don't believe it, but he no. did say that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm being provocative. I actually listen. I my sisters are both extremely powerful, extremely well accomplished, and brilliant women, for whom I hold nothing but uh, admiration, love, and a little dread. <laughs> <laughs> now, can you name some of the famous historical seducers, both women and men? Well. Jack, John Kennedy, Bill Clinton, just to name some recent examples. Women, none other than the, the fabulous and unforgettable and never imitated Mae West. I'm old enough to have seen old films of Mae West. I didn't obviously see her originally, but Mae West is, uh, a, was a great example. I would say Marilyn Monroe, but Marilyn Monroe was a media creation, like a tube of toothpaste. Mm -hmm. So not to say the woman didn't have extreme talent, but she was uh, she was not a seductress. She she sort of was, but I would point back at Mae West as a female example. What Does about uh, previous centuries? 
like the great, the great seductor, you know, ones, uh, men and women, if you, if you, th if you have any in mind. Well, there's the legendary Casanova, of course, where we get the term Casanova. And there is a famous, uh, philosopher, I get, I forget which one it was, who published a book called The Diary of a Seducer. I don't remember which philosopher it was. He was, uh, very depressed kind of guy, but he was also really good at seducing women. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's turn back and have a look at, at Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a very charismatic guy. So was John F. Kennedy. And not just because they were presidents of the United States and had power. Jimmy Carter was the president of the United States. But I don't think that guy ever got laid. <laughs> <laughs> There's something charismatic about those dudes. Yeah, absolutely. How is sales like seduction? In both cases, in both cases, what you're doing is you're capturing and leading the imagination and the emotions of your prospects. You're getting a process. See, here's the thing when I tell salespeople, you're never selling your product or service. You're always selling decisions and feelings about those decisions. So it's the same thing. You're never, as a guy, selling the, your offer of get in bed with me. You're shaping decisions and good feelings about decisions. You're shaping emotions. Mm -hmm. We know, and I can't scientifically quantify it, but we know most of our decisions are not based on our reason. We make decisions emotionally and often unconsciously, and then we rationalize them by coming up with reasons why. So in that case... So it's basically the same thing. They overlap. I consider seduction simply a subset of persuasion, or you could consider persuasion just a subset of seduction. Mm -hmm. I would tend to agree with that, too. And every time you find yourself agreeing with me, you can recognize and realize it makes you feel even better because it increases your curiosity to discover, hmm, what else is Ross really right about? <laughs> hey, are you seducing me? <laughs> no, I'm using some hypnotic language. It's, <laughs> it's creating what I call a hypnotic feed forward loop. A hypnotic feed forward loop. Hmm. So here, here's an interesting question, I think. If sales is a seduction game, is it unethical? Depends on your intent. Look. Tools are, generally speaking, morally neutral. I can take a scalpel and use it to do life-saving surgery, or I can slit someone's throat. You can split the atom and use it to build a very destructive weapon, or you can split the atom and use it to build a nuclear reactor. Now, some people would say nuclear reactors are inherently unsafe. I would disagree with that, but there you go. So those are just two examples. Is it unethical? It depends on your intent. Now, let me make something very clear. I'm not advocating misrepresenting facts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about misrepresenting facts or hiding an agenda. Hmm. That is unethical. I'm talking about communi communicating in ways that trigger processes that people are going to do anyway, but just using language. Look, Language structures consciousness, it shapes decisions, and it drives behavior. This is an overall 
overarching understanding you have to get if you want to be good at sales, if you want to be good at seduction, if you want to be good at personal relationships, you have to understand that not only do you choose the meaning of what things mean to you, but you can structure your language in such a way that people will choose the, the meaning that you want them to choose for the proposition that you're proposing. Mm-hmm. Now, is it unethical? It depends. What I want to put on the table is this idea. 90% of the people out there don't know how to feel good when they're making a good decision, or they don't even know how to recognize they're making a good decision. Because nowadays, people are more and more overstimulated, overwhelmed, distracted. I'm holding up a device in, in front of the camera. Can you tell me what this device is? It's a cell phone. A smartphone. Now, I would challenge your readers, uh, your listeners, excuse me, who don't believe what I just said, to go to any place, stand there for 10 minutes, and count the number of people who are walking around with their face right in their phone. So people are overstimulated with Twitter, instant messages, texting, Tinder. Not that I know anything about Tinder. (laughs) You understand? So the real estate and consciousness is more and more being taken up by fluff and distraction and nonsense. So people don't even have the concentration power to make a good decision or to realize they're making a good decision. Now, if it's a impulse buy, if you're grabbing a Three Musketeers bar, that's not a big deal. But when it comes to high-ticket items like cars or even more real estate, people are going to be really freaked out. That's a big decision. So you need to know how to guide their decisions, shape them, but most importantly, very importantly, is to shape their response of feeling good about the decision. If you can't do that, then you're in trouble. Mm. It's a great point. It's a wonderful point. I know. I'm not only good looking, I'm smart. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, you've got um you've got a what is it, a good cappy here. A cop, a cop. A Yiddish cuff, yeah. I, I've, I've often been told I have one, too. You do. A beautiful one. For those who are listening who are Goyim, it means a Jewish head, a Jewish brain. Goyim means you're not a Jew. Literally, it means cattle or nations. Depending. Really? It can either mean nations or it can mean cattle. Wow. When I was a student at City College of New York... Very often, people would get to know me, and they'd say, well, you know, you're Jewish, aren't you? No, no, I'm Italian. No. You're a Jewish intellectual. I said, no, I'm not. I, But it was my style of communication, I guess. You're a smart guy. <laughs> now, you, you kind of answered this question, uh, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Do you believe that people want to be seduced? I guess you'll say, of course. Of we course. all We all do. Of course. Yeah. Matter of fact, I would go as far as to say that, and I'll include myself in that, that we want to be given the permission to behave in a certain way. And the seducer gives you that permission, especially if... Absolutely, brilliantly, 100% true. Yeah. Women want to behave a certain way. Society restricts and constricts them. You're... 
you're not showing them the light at the end of the tunnel. You're removing the tunnel and saying, hey, baby, you're free. Go wild right now. Blame the big, bad seducer for the behavior that you wanted to show anyway. You could lay the blame on me. Well, you know what, though, Ross? I'm looking, when I look around me, I think that that used to be the case, that society would, you know, put restrictions on women behaving that way, but not today. I mean, women, uh, very, I know many women who are just openly and uh, unapologetically sexual and seductive themselves. I, well, I agree. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And that's this, and that's perfectly fine. The metastasis comes, the tumorous nature of it comes when the all thought feminists want to allow women to go free like that, but they make every expression of male sexuality, some kind of filth or dirt. And mm-hmm. so this is why I keep returning to this message that what you're saying is true. And like a parasite feeding on a healthy living body, we have this alt feminism movement that is trying to demonize male sexuality and demonize being masculine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a lot of that around. I totally agree. Here's a provocative question. <laughs> How are we helping someone by seducing him or her? Well, I look at it like this. There's three level, There's four levels to a woman's mind. This is only a model. It's not science and it's not true. It's a map. So if you act as if it were true, you get the responses I predict. But there could be other underlying mechanisms going on. I'm very careful to give that caveat. That said, I believe there are four levels to a woman's mind. There's the checklist, the get it done level. She's got to take her car and get her laundry done. There's the social approval level. This is where she's really concerned about what her friends would think, what her mother would say, what are the messages she gets from media, be a slut, no, make him wait, fight, whatever. Then the third level is what I would call her autopilot. Oh, I only sleep with surfers, or I only like rich men. But that fourth level, that fourth level of the mind is that sea of fantasy, that sea of kinkiness, that that ocean of, of desire, where if she could do whatever she wanted and no one would catch her, what would she do? And so I believe when you get to that level, it's a good thing. You're unleashing something that's there anyway and wants to be unleashed. Mm-hmm. Provided you know how to deal with it. I don't teach my students the most powerful techniques as I don't intend to give rocket launchers to children. <laughs> <laughs> Great image. Now, can you make an argument that we have a moral imperative to seduce. No, morality doesn't enter enter into it. I think you're doing a service when when you seduce and you do it in, in a way where you don't do harm. It's a service, but it's not an imperative. I think the only imperative we have is to be compassionate to one another because mm. at the end of the day, at the end of life, at every stage, it's really all we have. True. What are some of the best and most positive seduction stories? Some of your best and most positive seduction stories. <laughs> can we be here? Come on, you know, I, I'm going to call this the uh, 
politically incorrect podcast. Well, I, usually this takes place with younger women. Uh, of course, they're over 18, but I've been with women who are like 32 years younger, and they'll say things like, oh, my God, I've never had orgasms like that. Oh, my God, you've shown me what my bleep can do, and, and that sort of thing. So usually it's taking younger women, setting their sexuality free. So they can then bring that on to the next dude, usually a dude their age who can't handle it. Yeah, but I was asking you for a story. Okay, well, there was this, thir- uh, let's see, She's, she was 32 years younger than me, and I was 55, so how old does that make her? I don't want to do the math. But anyway, she saw well, me. Well, so she, she would be 23. 23. Yeah, actually, she was 22 at the time. So I got my own age wrong. From Paraguay. Hot, hot girl. And she said the instant she saw me, it was at like a social gathering. Her, her female part was, was dripping. And so we wound up back at my place and I did this technique called sliding your thumb and make that girl can i say the word um come we we, uh, we might be we might be going too far (laughs) all right i just do a technique with my thumb and she'd never experienced anything like that and then i did uh with some women i do what i call hyperimperia it's not a term that i invented it was invented by somebody else but essentially it uses consensually now this is where they where i do have them say yes and at every step I say, would you like more? Say more, please. But it's a hypnotic technique that enhances their body sens- sensation while at the same time giving suggestions that their mind become more and more open to suggestions. And it can allow women to have multiple orgasms where they couldn't have them before or take orgasms that they're having and make them more fulfilling. And sometimes both. So that sexual side of it is a form of setting free responses. And then what I do is I make sure that they understand it's their own power, that they can now take it forward and experience it with any man that they choose to turn it on with. So in that sense, I'm building better sex, not just for her, for me, but for the next guy she's with or the next hundred guys or whatever. Well, and more fulfilling sex for her. Yeah, I and I don't believe, and this is an important tangent. It's a tangent, but it's extremely important. I don't teach guys the performance discharge model of sex. I don't believe sex is about putting on a performance and then discharging yourself onto or into a woman. I don't believe that's what it's about. I believe it's about opening skin to skin energy to energy, and really slowing down and enjoying the entire process. One of the hottest sexual experiences I've ever had was on an airplane, but we remained fully clothed, fully clothed. All we did was touch fingers for like two and a half hours, make love with our hands and our fingers. I never got her name, never kissed her. That was it, but it was one of the most sensual experiences of my life. We were both having little mini orgasms, the whole time and we covered our our laps with a blanket but we didn't touch genitalia people could you could feel and smell the sexual tension but i want to make it very clear we never got naked or touched each other and genitalia i never kissed her never found out her name 
Wow. <laughs> That's a great. And you know what? When I repeat that story to women, I'm doing the same thing. I'm taking their hand and touching their fingers the way I touch fingers with a wound on the airplane. They wind up wanting to jump on me. <laughs> okay. Now, what are some of the top seduction secrets that you can reveal to help men and women in the bedroom? Secrets and, all right, uh, we'll start with that. You're talking about sex techniques, sexual... Well, if you're going to help them in the bedroom, I don't mean it's going to help them to make the bed. <laughs> oh, how graphic do you want me to get? Okay, here, I'll give you guys a tip. Guys, when you're going to digitally, digitally stimulate a woman's JJ, don't use your fingers, use your thumb. Because your thumb has a lot more muscles in it. It can move in different directions. It can take circular. So if you lay a woman on her tummy... And kneel between her legs and slide your thumb in to the very first inch or two in the vagina. You can stimulate the G-spot with your thumb. You don't go in and out. You can massage with your thumb. And that is, uh, I hear a cat in your office. Is that a cat or a child? She's upstairs. Oh. And she's that, she's that loud, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing. Uh, I call it slide in your thumb and make that girl come. There's the hypnotic sexual techniques. In fact, I'm going to do, um, we've been doing a 12-week webinar series on this. But see, I give that out, but you never know when a podcast is going to air. So you probably will have missed it. But this uh, next week's podcast is going to be on how to be the best way she's ever had. And I'm going to reveal that stuff. But uh, uh, it's not a podcast, it's a webinar. So... Anyway, I hope that helps. And then there's certain, I don't want to get very graphic. You know, this is not a sex education podcast. But there are other things you can learn to do. How about seduction secrets to help people in sales? Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. There's all sorts of things you can do. There's embedded commands, embedded suggestions. There's what I call implied relationship words for example if i were to say to you if i was selling real estate if i were to say you know before we do this walkthrough of your house and we see all the things that would make it really a good idea to put it on the market today can you make me one promise can you promise you'll share with me all the features of the house that will help me do a great job in getting the highest market price for you now do you promise things and share things with strangers and people you don't have a relationship with? No. No. So the instant they buy into those words promise and share, they buy into the idea that you and they have a special connection rather than you're trying to sell them on something. You get it? Mm-hmm. And every time they do the behavior of sharing something, it's reinforcing the suggestion that you're someone to be trusted. So it's creating a post-hypnotic feed-forward loop. I know that's a big mouthful, but essentially it means every time they do the behavior you ask them to do, it reinforces the suggestion that you paired or married or joined to that behavior. Mm-hmm. I love that. Does Kitty want to come downstairs? I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to take. I'm going to go put her outside. Not come back. Oh, bring her into your office. No, no. She'll. She'll really. It'll be. 
I'll show you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. right. I want to cut right. her out. I want to cut her All out. Right. Hold, hold on. All right. All right. Oh, look at that baby. What's her name? Her name is Pushkin. Pushkin is so cute. I'll be right back. All right. Bye, Pushkin. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty, huh? Yeah, she's a doll. You love cats, so you're okay in my. Oh book. God, she's uh, she's seventeen. That cat. Okay, why has seduction, Ross, become such an important part of your life? Really, to tell you the truth, it's it allows me to capture men's attention long enough to teach them much more profound ways of looking at the world. I'm really interested, ultimately, in teaching men that they can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones and their pain in, into passion. The seduction is a way for me to get attention long enough to begin to do a lot of the healing work that I really love to do, the change work. And I also think that I'm taking many men who haven't been touched in 10 years, 20 years, if at all, and I'm breaking them free from that prison. That's a wonderfully important thing to do. Finally, you know, I, I'll forward you an email about a single dad who used my stuff to help his autistic son become much more functional. When you look at that email, you'll really understand the depth of my work and what it can do for people. Hmm. Do you have a, a role model for seduction? No. No. The character, Ross Jeffries, is the role model. Make no mistake. Ross Jeffries is a character that I created. Right. He's not, Ross Jeffries isn't even my legal given name. Yeah, and what is your name? Uh, my Hebrew name is Pesach Yofet, uh, Ben Yitzik. That's my Hebrew name, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. That's cool, man. Are you an ethical person? Who was it who said if we all got our just desserts, no one would escape a whipping? <laughs> if we all got what? Our just desserts oh no one would escape a whipping <laughs> i try my best but you know i don't know how you define ethical everyone has a different set of standards for that i'm doing i'll say this i work every day i'm becoming a more compassionate person mm -hmm. i can say that truthfully and i i work every day on ridding myself of my spiritual poisons to speak in a more woo fashion of resentment envy despair, agitation, confusion. I meditate. I'm a meditator, and then I practice compassion in action. Last night, I volunteered at a place where they uh, have temporary housing for drug addicts. And so I helped serve food, and I sat down at the tables and talked to them because these people miss outside contact. Mm -hmm. So I volunteer to do things. I practice compassionate practices. I try not to hurt people. If that's... I don't know how further you can define ethics. I'm sure by a Bible-believing Christian, I'm a terribly unethical person. I don't know. Well, by, you know, the um, definition of, by the rules of many religions, yeah, you would be considered a sinner. But uh, welcome well, sign to... sign me up. Yeah, welcome well, to the... Yeah, welcome to the sinner's club, my friend. There's so many... Look... There's so many people who get their yayas off of making entire groups of people wrong. So it's happening in the United States. It's tearing us apart. Oh, yeah, I agree. Now, what do some of your haters say about you? Ah, uh, first, I want to say 
your hate makes me stronger, your hate makes me stronger. <laughs> One of my favorite comedians, Darren Frost, a Canadian. He's a brilliant dude. I don't know if you've ever seen him at Yuck Yucks or whatever. This guy's a genius. And when he gets heckled, he says, your hate makes me stronger. <laughs> so, well, let's see. What have they said? They've said that my stuff doesn't work. They've said that I hate women. I'm a misogynist. They say that I'm just... All, interestingly, I get some criticism from the red pill movement. and From the who? These are... Oh, wow. That's a whole other story. These are... Do you know the movie The Matrix? Yeah. And he holds out the red pill and the blue pill. He says, you yeah. get the blue pill, you wake up in your bed. Believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You come with me and say just how far down the rabbit hole goes. The red pill guys, using that analogy of taking the red pill, they've seen through how men had become vagina-centric that their whole world revolves around pleasing or getting vagina. And they would point their finger at me, I think, and say, yeah, what you teach to guys to get laid is very true, but you're making getting laid the center of a man's life, and it shouldn't be. And I would come back and say, I didn't say it's the center of a guy's life, but it's a very, very important aspect. If you're not getting that fulfilled, it's difficult to be happy. It's just a natural part of life. So I get criticism from the red pill movement, and also there's something called MGTOW, men going their own way. Uh, and these guys are, in my opinion, really have forgotten the plot and run off into the weeds. They've forgotten all about it. They say, we don't need women in our lives. Screw it. Really? These are, yeah, these are movements going on worldwide. Wow. I never knew. <laughs> yeah. They call it the manosphere. The who? It's the, the, man the manosphere. The manosphere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to speak at a convention. It's called the 21 Convention in Orlando, the end of September. And I'll be there with these people, the red pill people, etc., etc. And I may challenge some of their ideas. Fabulous. That's wonderful. How can people contact you? How would you like them to contact you? Well, if you're interested in the seduction side... I have a free course on confidence with women. It's actually, it's, I like to call it a training. It's a free video training on how to have confidence with women. Now, here's the best way to claim it. You get it for free. Here's what you do. Text the word RJ gift. That's all one word in capital letters. R, and you can't spell gift. You're not smart enough to use my stuff. Text the word RJ gift to the number 44222. That's RJ Gift to the number 44222. If you're outside the United, if you're outside the United States, go to seduction.com forward slash free. If you're outside the United States, seduction.com forward slash free. If you're in the United States, you text the word RJ Gift to the number 44222. And that's for access to my free video training on how to have confidence with women. If you're interested in contacting me on the sales side, just go to rossjeffrieslive.com. That's J-E-F-F-R-I-E-S. If you want to find out about how I can come, basically that's a page for people who want me to come and speak to their organization or train their organization. Beautiful. Go to rossjeffrieslive.com. J-E-F-F-R-I-E-S. 
live.com. Yeah, and I want to, I want to, if you get hate mail, please forward it to me. I love hate mail. (laughs) Will you forward hate mail to me? Sure, if I get it, yeah. Thanks. I have no problem. What will people gain from you, Ross? Depends on how much they pay me. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, You know, I can mentor them. I can speak to their organization. I can come in and do trainings. It depends. Depends on what you want. But one thing I can say, at the end of the day, you'll fall in love with language in the way I've fallen in love with language and its power to shape your own thinking, to convince yourself and to shape the decisions of other people. Look, the central premise of your show is you choose the meaning you give things. In theory, that's true. But in practice, it usually isn't because people don't understand the role of language both on subtle levels and on obvious levels to shape emotions and drive behavior. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, no matter where you're at, I'll, I'll have you falling in love with language in a way that gives you practical results. In could Every, be, like you said, in, in various areas of your life. It could be in um, the male-female relationships. It could be in uh, your work as a salesperson, etc., do you also yeah. work with women, by the way? Only uh, horizontally. No, for, for, really? Is that true? You don't coach women? I don't know. If you're if you're part of a sales team, I can come in and give a training mm-hmm. on subtle words that sell. My, my, I call my method subtle words that sell, conversations into cash without pushing, press, pressuring, or pitching. So mm-hmm. I, could, I would love to come in to an organization and give a training on that. It's, but it's not a individual coaching with a woman on how to be with a man. I don't know how to do that. Women have a different set of challenges than men. I'm not a, a, a woman, so I, I don't know how to do that. Hmm. Are there any great seduction books that you could recommend? Sure. My own original book, How to Get the Women You Desire in the Bed, a down and dirty guide to dating and seduction for the man who's fed up with being Mr. Nice Guy. Say his, say the title slowly. How to Get the Women You Desire in a Bed, A Down and Dirty Guide to Dating and Seduction for the Man Who's Fed Up with Being Mr. Nice Guy. So where can they find this book? You know, it is available through Amazon, but I don't get the royalties. That's not me publishing it. So what I would say is... Once you get into my text messaging system, we'll text you down the road. We'll text a link on how to grab a free copy. Okay. Any final thoughts for our yes. for yes. our storytellers whose yes. ears are probably burning right now? Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Their minds can't resist the suggestions they can't see. Rumble, young man, rumble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may be accused of uh, having produced a, uh, in this instance, a, a, a male biased podcast, but so well be it. Then, well then, great. Sign me up. <laughs> Ross, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. You know, it's my one, not regret, but my one thing that, that I would say is I wish it was a call-in show where we could take calls from my rate listeners oh, <laughs> that wow 
that would be interesting. Hey, listen, maybe we can create one. Uh, I don't have time to create one on a uh, uh, ongoing radio show, but if you can figure it out, I'd love to come on and do a episode with you. That would be great. Okay. All right. I want to it's thank a you. Pleasure. Yes, indeed. And, and as a fellow cat lover, send out some good thoughts from my poor sick baby Kaz. I will. Yes, and storytellers send out love for his sick cat. He uh, Ross loves his cats. Yes, I do. They're my babies. Like I Ernest love Hemingway them. said that cats have an emotional honesty that humans just don't. A human can deceive and dissemble with their emotions, but cats can't. Cats have an emotional honesty about them, which I find to be true. Yeah, I find it to be true, too. Having lived with this cat for, well, almost 15 years, it's true. It's true. It's, well, and it's, ama it's amazing how they communicated, too. All right, enough talk about pussies. Time to end this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you once again, storytellers, for tuning in and spending time today with me and Ross Jeffries. Now today, I'm going to leave you with a different kind of message. Today was different. Today was more provocative. Today may have even incensed and inflamed some people. I want you to think about this. I began the show by making a statement that nothing means anything except the meaning you give it. And we talked about topics and language was used that people put very strong meanings on. They frame things like the things they heard today, sometimes in a very negative, in a very inflammatory way. I don't know where you stand on that. I would love to hear from you. Sending your messages to lewis at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Now, think about this during the next week. Are there areas of my life that I have a certain take on that may be disturbing, that may be negative? And do I see that area of my life as unchangeable? Do I feel that's the way it is? I would suggest that maybe it looks that way because that's the meaning you've given it. So, if you were negatively charged by the things you heard today, are you willing to be open, re-examine, and ask yourself this, what value and what wisdom did Ross deliver? Because I will suggest that he did. And then ask yourself, what can you do to reframe those areas of your life that right now you're viewing through a negative lens and they may not be serving you very, very well? Also, Remember that our sponsor is Audible and that you can get any book that you want as an audio download for free by simply going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. And yes, do pay this forward. Tell people about it. Let them know that they can hear this podcast on 
iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. And yes, at that website, you can download a free gift that I created for you, an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Once again, spend the next week re-examining the frame that you have on things. Be willing to push beyond your comfort zone and ask this question, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.